At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed, have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters five through seven to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. You can be seated. Let's thank God for our worship uh, team that led us today, amen? Amen. Well, what a privilege it is to be able to be with you this morning. Uh, as we get started, I wanna get right into my message because I am so blessed to be able to share with you from the book of Romans. The book of Romans has been called uh, the purest presentation of the gospel captured in human history. It's enduring impact on uh, so many lives. It goes without question. So many simply by reading the words penned by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago have come to faith in Christ. And so with that comes a weight. How do you preach or exposit from a perfect book? That's the weight of every preacher. So today I want to do something that I typically don't do. I don't know if I've done this before, but I'm going to ask you, like I've asked our previous services, to pray for me. And not just me, but to pray for all of those of us who teach God's Word, who open up this uh, amazing and glorious, perfect book and search for words to be able to convey it to you with a deep sense of inadequacy. I want you to pray that I would uh, present the gospel as beautiful, because it is. I want you to pray that I would present Christ as a gift to be treasured, because he is. You know, the difficulty in preaching the gospel and expounding upon a perfect and glorious book is that no words measure up. Have you ever experienced that, trying to convey something to someone and words don't, don't simply do it justice? It's like trying to explain love to someone. How do you explain what it's like to be in love, to experience love, or trying to describe the fireworks from the 4th of July to somebody who wasn't there and wasn't present? How do you do that with any sense of adequacy at all? Or trying to explain the eager anticipation that's in somebody's soul or spirit on Christmas Eve as they expect a wonderful morning full of gifts. How do you explain all of that? How do you explain how beautiful the gospel is and how glorious it is only through the power of the Spirit? And that is why I ask you to pray. And why do I want you to see the gospel as beautiful in Christ as a gift to be treasured? It's because what I pray and what I believe the Apostle Paul wants for us is for us to desire Christ more than anything else. That's really what the battle is over in Romans chapter 6. That's where we're at. You can go there with me. In Romans chapter 6, verse number 12, the Apostle Paul says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions, or another word there, another way of translating the Greek there, is desires. What Paul knows is that really the battle is over your desires because when you desire something, no one has to train you to do it. No one has to force you to do it. Think about it in your diet for just a moment. No one has to encourage you to eat bad, do they? 
No, you love cakes, you love pies, you love desserts, you love burgers and pizza, and I'm gonna change the topic before I get hungry. But you guys know what I'm talking about. We naturally love those things, but when it comes to eating healthy, we gotta pay people to help us to eat healthy. We gotta enter into dietary programs. Why? Because we have a lack of desire often. What Paul is saying is that he hopes that we desire Christ more than we desire sin. That we would desire Christ, see him as such a precious and wonderful gift to be received, to be treasured, that we would desire him more than we desire anything else in this life. Uh, one of the great Christian philosophers of our generation is over at Calvin College over in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. His name is James K.A. Smith. He's written a, a marvelous book, one of many called You Are What You Love. And in that book, he says these words, our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity and are the wellspring from which our actions and our behaviors flow. Our wants, our desires, our, our, uh, our passions are the core of our identity and they are the wellspring from which our actions flow. If you win a person's desires, they will always follow those desires. So I pray that today you will treasure Christ and that you would see him as a gift and the gospel as beautiful. And why do I want you to treasure Christ? Why, why should you do that? Why, why should you celebrate with us? Because all of today has been a celebration from the songs that we have sang to the participation and communion that reminds us of our union with Christ and our oneness with one another to this sermon. All of it is a celebration, but why should we celebrate? Well, today, Paul would argue that one of the reasons why we should celebrate Christ is because in Christ we have freedom. How many praise God for freedom? How many think freedom is a wonderful thing? Freedom is a gift. And, and, and what Paul wants us to know today, and we're gonna look in this passage, is that uh, we're all slaves, but only Christians are free. And Paul wants us to search our hearts to ask ourselves, are we a slave to sin that leads to death or a slave to righteousness, to, to Christ that leads to life? What team are you on? There's certain ways that we can measure that, one of which is to ask ourselves some, some questions. And we're gonna get to those questions in just a moment. But in order to set the context, look at verse number 14. This is where Pastor Steve left off uh, last week. It says, for sin will have no dominion over you. This is not Paul giving us a charge in verse number 14, the first half. This is Paul giving us a precious promise that sin will no longer be a dictator. It will no longer be an abusive or evil master. It will no longer have power over you. In Christ, we are free from the dominion of sin. Paul uses this political terminology to let us know that we are free. Some of you may remember uh, seeing those pictures after the Battle of Baghdad of the citizens of Iraq tying a rope 
around this 39-foot statue of Saddam Hussein as America and other allies liberated their country and they pulled that statue down and there was celebration in the streets. Why? Because the dictator was no longer in power. Well, sin is a cruel dictator, but Christ has set us free from the dominion and power of sin. How many praise God for that? Now, why? Why are we free from it? He says this, since you are not under law, but under grace, you must understand this in order to understand anything else I'm about to teach you or that Paul is going to share. What does it mean to be under the law or under grace? Well, to be under the law means to live under the crushing weight of perfectionism or what we would call legalism. It is to try to earn the merit of your salvation through the keeping of the law. It is to try to somehow, through legalistic perfectionism, try to earn your salvation through the works of the law. And that is not why the law was given. The law was given for a totally different reason. It was to expose to us that we can never measure up to God's standard. What the law does, where there is no law, there's no consciousness or awareness of sin. But when the law comes in and tells us, don't covet your neighbor's possessions, when the law comes in and tells us, don't lie, when the law comes in and says, don't steal, don't lust, don't have pride, what it does, it's perfect, it's not wrong, it's the perfect law of God, but it, in me, what it does is it exposes my weakness. It exposes the blemishes of my flesh. It exposes that there is no way I can keep this law. And if the law is, is a standard by which I will be judged, none of us are getting in. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at the way Paul describes it in Romans chapter 3. Just go back a few chapters to verse number uh, 20. Romans chapter 3 verse number 20 says this. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. What the law does is it exposes to me and to you that we are so far from God's standard. Is the law bad? No, the law is good. It is God's perfect law. It is God's perfect standard. But every time I try to measure up to it, I fall short and it produces within me a sense of critical condemnation. But that doesn't stop within Chris Brooks because when I am bound by legalism, I not only am judging me all the time, I'm judging you as well. And I'm critical of you and I'm critical of me because I'm constantly reminded that I'm falling short and I can never measure up. And sadly, sadly, this is how so often if we're not careful, we see the gospel, we preach the gospel, we understand the gospel as if it is law keeping. One more verse, James chapter two, look at verse number 10. Keep your finger in Romans six. We're gonna come back to it, I promise. But James chapter 2, verse number 10, reads as this. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, 
has become guilty of all of it. Think about how crushing that is. Imagine if it were possible that I kept all of the law, but I was prideful. That means that I'm ruined. Imagine if it was possible I kept all of the law, but I had a lust problem. Then I'm I'm ruined because if you break one of it, you've broken all of it. Imagine if I kept all of the law, but I had a greed problem. But here's what James wants us to understand through this hyperbole. It's not even possible for you to keep all of the law but one. You are crushed under the weight of the law if you are trying to justify yourself by the law. Is the law bad? No. But what it does in me, in you, it exposes our weakness, but then steps in grace. And what grace does is it comes through the finished work of Christ on that cross through his blood. It satisfies the perfect law of God. Jesus, the only perfect one, satisfies the perfect law of God. He pays my sin debt and then he offers salvation by faith alone in his finished work. So now my salvation is a foreign salvation. It is a foreign righteousness, not my own righteousness, but an imputed righteousness that I receive from him outside of me. But when God sees me, if I put my faith in him, he sees Christ. Praise God. So now I don't have to measure up to the perfectionism of the law because what mercy, what grace does is gives me mercy when I fail. What grace does is give, gives me forgiveness that is undeserved. What grace does is it extends favor that is unmerited. My salvation is not based off of the merits of my work. My salvation is based off of the merits of what he did on the cross. That's why we just celebrated the blood. That's why you should celebrate the blood. Isn't grace beautiful? Isn't grace wonderful? What soul in here, what soul in the world does not need grace? But here's the problem in the human mind is when we think of grace, and here's the thing, we're not even talking about men's grace, which is limited. We're talking about the unlimited grace of God that covers all my sin, all of my imperfections, all of my shortcomings. It is an unending ocean that covers all of our sins. Then the carnal mind will ask the question, well, why not keep on sinning? Paul anticipates that. And look at what he says in verse number 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law? I'm not judged by the law when I stand before God. I'm going to be able to say, yes, I have fallen short of the law, but my salvation is not merited on the law, me keeping it perfectly. It is merited on Christ, me trusting in him by faith. I have received his righteousness imputed to me, infused to me. So because of that, Since we are not under the law, but under grace, should we keep on sinning? Paul emphatically says, by no means. Why? Because we are not on team sin anymore. We have switched teams. But how do you know what team you're on? Well, the first way you know is by who you obey. Who do you obey? Look at verse 16. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either to sin, which leads to death, or, of or obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. What he is saying is that you once were bound by sin, but now you are free by Christ. You no longer have to live under the dominion of sin. Now, earlier I asked you to pray for me that I would present the gospel as beautiful and Christ is a gift to be treasured. Now I'm gonna ask you to pray another prayer for me and that is to present sin as exceedingly sinful. Because I believe the problem with many of us of why we don't treasure the gospel is because we don't see sin as deadly as it is. Sin is deadly. It is a poison to the soul. The Bible says that sin defiles us. That word defile means that it poisons us. Think about it. Picture it for a moment. A cup of water that looks so attractive to a thirsty person now put into it a contaminant that can kill you and it is deadly. How many remember a few weeks ago hearing reports and stories of a chemical spill down river that contaminated the water supply whereby which thousands of people had to be evacuated? Anybody remember hearing that story? Well, because we have a campus down river now, we were called on to be a part of a group to help to evacuate people. And why do we have to evacuate them? It's because to drink contaminated water will kill you. What sin does is it contaminates and pollutes your soul. Sin is deceptive. Sin is deadly. Sin desires to crucify the living Christ. Sin, if it could, it will kill God. Sin comes in to kill, steal, and destroy your life. Sin is like rust. To the heart. It corrodes our hearts. Sin, when properly understood, is like a deceptive tour guide that promises you this wonderful tour to a land of promise only to take you to a land of constant torment. That's what sin is. Sin is like smog over the sky trying to blind you to the sunrise of the gospel. We went to, uh, yesterday was a great day for our family. We got a chance to spend a lot of time together. My sons are playing football. So in the morning, we saw both of their games. And then at night, uh, a friend of ours had gifted us some tickets to uh, the Michigan State game. And we went um, to that game and just had fun and had a wonderful time. And, and I have such an affinity for that place. There was a lot of memories made there when I was a student. And you guys know my affection for that place, but I gotta be honest with you. Every time I am on not only that campus, but any college campus, there is such a burden that overwhelms me as I look at this sea of young people who I know are drinking deeply from the contaminated water of sin. 
And so many of them, as you look in their eyes, you know that they have been offered this fool's gold, sin lies to you, appears to be attractive on the front end, only to destroy you. It is a Trojan horse. And there's so many young people that are drinking from the deep well of this water of sin and then waking up the next morning wondering why am I anxious and why am I depressed and why am I confused and discouraged? It's because your soul is contaminated, but Christ is a gift and he comes in and he purifies our hearts from the contamination. How many of you had pollutants within you if you were offered an elixir that can purify you would say, yes, give it to me? How many would want that? How many have rushed? If rust was eating away at your car and there was some anti-rust agent that you could receive that would reverse the effects of rusting and prevent it from rusting anymore, how many would say, give it to me? I, I want that. How many, if there was smog that filled the air and there was some major purification element that can purify the air so that you can breathe fresh air and see without smog, the beautiful sunrise would say, give me that. That is the gospel. That is Jesus. Jesus purifies our souls from, from the contamination of sin. Jesus is the one that takes the rust off of our hearts. When small confuses our minds, Jesus is the one that clarifies it all. He is a gift to be treasured. Paul makes it clear that your master is the one you're obeying. Who do you obey? Yesterday at the game, there was no confusion over which team each player was on. You knew what team each player was on. No confusion about that. And you may say, well, of course, you can just look at their jerseys and know what team they're on. Well, that's probably true, but theoretically someone could do some type of prank or some type of uh, uh, gotcha moment where they could switch jerseys if they wanted to. But the way, the fail-proof way you knew which team each player was on was what coach they were listening to, what coach they were obeying. The home team was obeying the coach of their team. The away team was obeying their coach. Which coach are you obeying? Which team are you on? Are you on team sin using and yielding the members of your body, your mind, your creativity, your time, talent for sin? Or are you on team Jesus saying, Lord, lead me in your word, guide me by your spirit. The gospel is beautiful. And Lord, I wanna be able to experience that. Second thing Paul asks is, what fruit are you reaping? Look at verse 19. Paul says, I'm speaking in human terms because, you're natural, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at, the, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. 
But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Man, I wish, praise God, yeah, praise God for his word. I, I wish we had three more hours together and I wish in many ways, and I mean this sincerely, that I was a better communicator because uh, this is so powerful that the, the, the challenge I have is to properly convey it, but here's my attempt, my attempt at what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is that you once were in a season of your life where you yielded the members of your body for works of lawlessness that led to more lawlessness. You were doing more and more evil. You were harming yourself and you were harming others and you experienced a fruit from that and that fruit led to damaging your own life and damaging the life of others. But here's the question, why did you do it? Why were you willing to yield yourself as an actor of lawlessness saying, Satan, use my hands, sin, use my mouth, use my mind. Why were you willing to do that? It's because of your desire for freedom and you were told a false definition of freedom. Oz Guinness says that if you want to measure the health of any culture, any group of people, any society, then measure the virtues that they celebrate. How many in here thank God for freedom and believe freedom is worthy of celebration? How many believe that? Now stop clapping. Notice I didn't have to tell you to clap. Some of you whistled. Some of you shouted. Why? Because deep down in our souls, there's an innate celebration for freedom and freedom is beautiful and worthy of dying for when rightly defined. The problem is, is that this world has misdefined freedom and we have accepted the wrong definition. The way that the world defines freedom is autonomy. And autonomy is not the same as freedom. Autonomy comes from the combination of two Greek words, autos and nomos. Autos meaning self, nomos meaning law, a law unto oneself. What it means is to be autonomous is to have no limits, no restrictions, no hindrances to do whatever you want, to act whatever way you want, and to indulge without limits. And this is the lie that the world has sold us, that the goal of ultimate freedom is to do whatever you want without limits. And how has that worked out for us? Remember the lie that we were told that technology was supposed to set us free? And so we brought the iPhone 5 and 6 and 7 and now the 28, 30, 40, whatever model we're on right now. We got, uh, we got Alexa in our homes. We got big screen TVs on the dashboard of our cars because it was supposed to set us free. We indulged and drank from the well of technology without limits because we were told it would bring us freedom. But what has it brought us? Every study tells us that our limitless indulgence in technology has not brought us freedom. It, rather, it has produced the most anxious generation in human history. 
What about financial freedom? Well, the way the world defines financial freedom is to be able to spend your money however you want, on whatever you want. It certainly wouldn't define it like Paul would as a tool to be yielded to God for his glory. Certainly wouldn't encourage you to say, God, here is my paycheck. Here is my 401k. Here is my savings, Lord. Use it for your purposes. No, the way the world defines financial freedom is buy whatever you want. Where has that left us? Under a mountain of crushing debt. America is the most indebted nation, not just on the globe, but in human history. Most of us have contributed to it, so don't just blame the government, because most of us are living from paycheck to paycheck because we have bought into the lie of indulgence without limits. What about sexual freedom? Where has that left us? to express your sexuality however you want, to indulge in whatever sexual act you want without limits, without hindrances, without any boundaries. It is produced for us a divorce culture, an abuse culture, a confused culture where we don't even know what it is to be a man or a woman anymore. Freedom and autonomy are not the same. What Paul says is that if you want to follow that way, it will produce a fruit that will lead to death. But if you will yield your members to Christ and to follow the beauty of the gospel, it won't harm you. It will heal you. The limits that Christ puts in are the limits of a finite being I wasn't intended to consume unlimited information. I wasn't designed by God to have no boundaries. I need sleep. I need rest. I need his good leading besides still waters that restores my soul and paths of righteousness. And if I follow him and his word, it will lead to a sanctification that will produce Life. Third thing, Paul says, if you want to know what team you're on, ask what destiny awaits. Verse 23 ends this way, for the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says that sin has a payday, and that payday is death. And that death is separation from God. You are separated from the gift of God. It's like having Christmas Eve with no Christmas. It's like working and never receiving the benefit of it. Christ is the gift and you won't receive it if you follow sin and yield yourself to sin. But notice how he describes Christ as a gift. He is a gift. He is peace. He is joy. He is the one who heals our heart. He is the one that satisfies our longings. He is the one that purifies our souls from contamination. He is the one that restores my broken life. He is the one that restores broken families. He is a gift. He is the one that speaks words of blessings over us. He is the one who paid the debt that we couldn't pay. He is the one 
that offers us salvation by grace because he has seen our exhausted souls and he knows that we are weary from trying and failing and trying and failing. And so he offers us the salvation that is found in him alone. He is a gift. And what do you do with a gift? You have to receive it. I was talking to my son not long ago. I said, what do you do if you love someone and you offer them a gift and they won't take it? And he says, Dad, you have to offer it to them again and again and again. And that is the job of the preacher. That is our joyful privilege. It is to offer to you the gift of Christ to be treasured, to be cherished again and again and again. The gospel is beautiful. You do not have to be under the dominion of the taskmaster of sin anymore. Christ offers us freedom. Receive the gift today. Let's stand. I'm gonna just dismiss us in prayer if that's okay. Uh, the worship team had another song planned and I do apologize, but uh, I preached a little bit long. But I do care for your soul and I care for your heart. And because of my great love for, for you, I, I simply want you to be able to see the gospel not as law, not as rule keeping. None of us are that good. So if you feel like a failure, join the club. This is not the assembly of the perfect. But we are those who look to Christ for salvation because we recognize in humility, I need grace. That's where salvation starts. And if today you are here and you recognize you need grace, do not leave. I will stay and pray with you. Our team will stay and pray with you, but don't leave. Don't get this close to the gift and just walk away and don't take it. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that for those who don't have this gift, that they would receive it so that they too can sing with us in the weeks to come that there's no greater power than the glorious blood of Jesus that has saved my life. But I pray for those of us who have received the gift that we would share it and tell our children, our neighbors, the world, until all have heard, until Christ return. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.